0: Chapter 8 of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter 8 Jimmy Forgets Something. No one has ever satisfactorily explained the disconcerting tendency to oversleep the mornings when it is most necessary to wake on time pollyanna generally slept with the soundness popularly if erroneously supposed to indicate an untroubled conscience and accordingly as a rule about six o'clock she wakened thoroughly refreshed and feeling ready for the day but on the particular morning which jimmy had selected as the occasion for an early start Pollyanna was awakened by an empathic ejaculation. "'Jerusalem!' Pollyanna sat up, blinking. "'What is it, Jimmy?' "'It's quarter of eight. That's what it is.' Jimmy leaped out of bed. "'If this isn't the most confounded luck,' he scolded, "'I should have left the house half an hour ago.' There was no further attempt at conversation. Pollyanna dressed in frantic haste and, for once in her life, made a boudoir cap a substitute for combing her hair jimmy omitted shaving and appeared at the breakfast table before anything was ready pollyanna thanking her stars for ready-to-serve breakfast food fried the bacon with an anxious eye on the coffee-pot which had an air of intimating that under no circumstances would it hurry itself of course the toast entering into the general perversity of the morning improved the opportunity to scorch There was no time to make more, and Pollyanna scraped the slices, hoping that Jimmy would not notice. When Jimmy had everything he wanted, she slipped back into the bedroom to make herself presentable before eating her own breakfast. She had combed her hair and was beginning to look her usual trim self when it occurred to her to wonder why it was taking Jimmy so long to finish. She hurried into the dining-room to find it empty as far as human occupancy was concerned the table presenting that peculiarly uninviting appearance which is the inevitable sequel to a finished meal whether the meal is a banquet or a hasty breakfast of bacon and eggs pollyanna should have realized at once what had happened but it was not till she had satisfied herself that jimmy's hat had disappeared from the hall that she grasped the situation jimmy had left the house without kissing her good-bye Pollyanna was conscious of a creeping chill, even in the warm, pleasant little room. What did it mean? Had he forgotten to say goodbye, or had he chosen this way of expressing his displeasure? If the latter explanation seemed very unlike Jimmy, the former impressed her as impossible. Pollyanna was as sensible as any wife of three months' experience is likely to be. She gave herself a little shake. She was not going to make a mountain out of a molehill even if Jimmy had gone away in a bad temper, the ruffling of his usual amiability was not worth a second thought, Pollyanna decided. I should have set the alarm clock, of course, but I always wake so early that I never dreamed I'd need it. She set about her morning's work with less than her usual briskness, and was so absorbed in her uneasy misgivings as to forget that she had not breakfasted. She decided that she would give Jimmy the things he liked best for dinner. Fortunately, Jimmy's preferences did not run in the direction of artichokes and strawberries out of season. His favourite dish was fried onions, and fried onions in an apartment little larger than a bird-cage are a blessing there is no possibility of disguising. Pollyanna was sure she could detect their odour in her clean underwear for a day or two after they graced her table, and she feared that those of her neighbours who did not appreciate these delicacies might be obliged to share their fragrance if not their flavour. Yet, undeterred by any of these objections, Pollyanna decided on fried onions as the chef de verre of her dinner, and then went on selecting her menu without the slightest interest in making it a well-balanced meal. All she cared about was to present an assortment of favourite dishes that would inevitably restore Jimmy's balance. Pollyanna's native cheerfulness was so far restored by this practical solution of her difficulty that the day would probably have been unmarred by any further forebodings had she not decided to divert her thoughts by reading. Pollyanna had always been under the impression that to sit down to read for entertainment before mid-afternoon was a piece of self-indulgence permissible only in case one was not feeling well. But this particular morning she was conscious of a disagreeable droopy sensation as different as possible from her customary buoyancy probably the fact that she had eaten no breakfast had something to do with it though pollyanna attributed it to an entirely different cause a day that started off without jimmy's goodbye kiss was like a day when the sunrise had been omitted and luckily for pollyanna's peace of mind she had at hand a book she had drawn the previous day from a circulating library on the strong recommendation of the librarian, and at eleven o'clock she stretched herself on the couch in the living room, prepared to forget the worries of actual life in an excursion into the realms of fancy. Pollyanna had been well grounded in the English classics, but she was somewhat unsophisticated as regards the modern movement she still innocently supposed that works of fiction were written to give pleasure. The first chapter interested her immensely, because in it she made the acquaintance of two young married people, like Jimmy and herself, desperately in love and deliriously happy, and she had reached a third chapter before her interest became tinged with apprehension. The author seemed to take it for granted that falling in love was nature's practical joke upon the human race, and that the first joy of married life must soon be replaced by disillusionment if not despair. The change in the hero's feelings towards the heroine was described with a detail which might have seemed wearisome had Pollyanna not had her own reasons for being interested in the subject. She read on and on with a growing sense of the hollowness of the world, an impression undoubtedly aided by her own feelings of hollowness. A satisfying meal is an admirable ally of common sense. Pollyanna had not eaten since six o'clock the previous evening, and her common sense was temporarily incapacitated for action. Breathlessly she read how at last the hero looked across the dinner-table at the heroine, and realized that he was chained to her for life, and a cold chill ran down her spine. Her faith in the efficacy of fried onions began to wane. It was two o'clock before she laid down her book, impelled by a growing faintness, and went to make herself a cup of tea and a slice of toast. It took an effort to swallow even these. Could it be that the author's assumption of omniscience was justified? Was it possible that life was like this? Was she a heedless child playing on the slopes of a volcano which would inevitably bury under a rain of ashes? all the heart's dearest hopes and joys? If only Jimmy had not gone away that morning without kissing her good-bye. She had not risen from the table when the bell rang, and she went to answer it, so absorbed in her own dismal reflections that she did not even wonder who had come to see her. But she woke from her trance as a sleepwalker might, under like conditions, when someone seized her, hugged her, and shrieked ecstatically, "'It's me! It's me! You didn't expect me to find you so quick, did you?' oh gladys dear i'm so glad to see you there would be no doubt as to the cordiality of pollyanna's welcome almost from the beginning she had felt a temperate affection for this precocious and unprepossessing child and by now her own thoughts had grown to be such bad company that she would have welcomed any distraction gladys took it for granted that she must immediately make a tour of inspection of the apartment but her attitude was not critical like that of the Fisher's. Indeed, she admired everything. "'Say, ain't it nice and quiet?' she sighed. "'You're lucky not to have a crowd of boys stamping around. The other tenants are always sending the janitor up to tell us to be quiet. Much good it does.' Pollyanna tried to imagine the effervescent Malcolm and Gregory bottled up in a city apartment, and her sympathy was not altogether for the neighbouring tenants. "'Of course they're both in school now,' Gladys continued, but lots of days I can't make him go. Gregory, he'll say he's got a sore throat, and then Malcolm will say he's got a pain in his stomach, and by quarter-past nine they'll be turning the bath-hose on each other, and making such a racket that it wakes Mother. And, when Mother doesn't get to bed till two or three o'clock, she needs to sleep till pretty near noon. If she don't, she'll get wrinkles." Pollyanna's liking for Gladys was not sufficient to lead her to counterfeit interest in the tragedy impending if Mrs. Moore should be awakened too early. Without comment she brought out her knitting, and the two oddly contrasted friends settled down to a long talk. But in spite of a lack of encouragement, which Pollyanna almost feared might seem discourteous, Gladys insisted on talking about her mother. "'Looks as if my mother was going to be more popular than ever this season.' She gets all kinds of invitations, and she goes out a good deal with a real young crowd." Pollyanna knitted fast. "'My mother's awful young-looking for her age,' Gladys continued complacently. "'But that don't help now that I'm getting so tall. So she's telling folks that she's father's second wife.' "'His second wife?' Though the implication was obvious, Pollyanna could hardly believe her ears. "'Yes, don't you see? She pretends she's our stepmother.' Gladys burst into a joyous laugh at this indication of her mother's resourcefulness lucky I don't look like her, she added, or the boys either, for that would be a dead giveaway. Pollyanna listened with an indignation that made her afraid to trust herself to speak while Gladys continued to brag of her mother's triumphs over certain other women described by Gladys as regular old cats. But as the tiresome tale went on, Pollyanna found other thoughts pricking through her resentment, like crocuses pushing their way through the chill earth into the sun. The author of the book she had just been reading was not omniscient after all. Loyalty was not a fantastic fabrication of the sentimentalist, but inherent in the race. This untaught child boasting of a mother who had neglected and imposed upon her was a flat denial of the reflection of human nature that made it fundamentally and greedily selfish. As Pollyanna listened she found herself ashamed of her late unhappy mood, which now began to seem little short of absolute disloyalty. Late in the afternoon, after repeated false starts, Gladys succeeded in tearing herself away. "'I've just got to get home,' she grumbled, or those kids will be tearing the house down. And probably the maids will pack up and leave. You don't know the time we have keeping maids. And even when they stay they do just as they like. They think that I'm so young that they don't have to pay any attention to what I say, and Mother's away most of the time, or else asleep. Sometimes I get so sick of it that I feel like firing the bunch, only I don't know how to cook. Mother says they must steal right and left, and I guess they do, but if you say anything about the bills they go right up in the air, and it's something awful." Her door had no sooner closed on gladys than pollyanna started in to peel the onions she had acquired every symptom of a cold in the head when the telephone rang and she hurried to answer it wiping away the tears as she went the telephone rang seldom in pollyanna's apartment and even when it did ring it was generally the wrong number so her interrogative hello was unemotional hello jimmy's hearty voice answering back thrilled her "'as if she had not heard it for months. "'Have you done anything about dinner yet?' "'I'm just about starting. "'Then suppose you drop everything and meet me downtown. "'We'll have dinner at a restaurant and take in a show afterwards. "'What do you say?' "'Oh, Jimmy!' Pollyanna's first rapture was immediately tinged by doubt. "'Won't it be very expensive?' "'That doesn't concern you, Mrs. Pendleton,' Jimmy snubbed her. "'My treat. Now listen. How soon can you be ready?' it seemed that pollyanna could be ready almost immediately and after arranging the time and place of meeting they said good-bye and then pollyanna rushed to change her dress humming a little tune and breaking every now and then into smiles it was so dear of jimmy to atone for his forgetfulness of the morning in this fashion that is if it had been forgetfulness rather than pique and even if he had left without saying good-bye because he felt vexed and irritated she was perfectly ready to accept his apology only she reflected jimmy must not feel that it was always necessary to make amends in this extravagant manner they had a wonderful evening beginning with dinner at a little italian restaurant after which they saw such a thrilling movie that though the theatre was overwarm pollyanna actually shivered at the climaxes of the play on the way home after repeated and rather unnecessary assurance of her enjoyment of the evening Pollyanna added tenderly, "'But I don't want you to feel, dear, that just because you forgot something you have to make up for it by giving me a treat.' "'Forget something?' Jimmy exclaimed. "'What have I forgotten now?' Pollyanna stole a glance at him. At first she could not believe that he was in earnest, but his eyes met her with frankly puzzled candour. "'Did you want me to get you something at one of the stores?' persisted Jimmy, as she did not speak. Awfully sorry, but I don't remember a thing about it. Another time you'll have to tie a string around my little finger. Pollyanna did not enlighten him as to the nature of his offence, but the discovery that Jimmy did not even know what he had forgotten was enlightening as to a rather fundamental difference between husbands and wives. Pollyanna went to sleep that night by no means a sadder, but decidedly a wiser woman. End of chapter 8 Recording by Claire.